turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the fourth church this morning. I'd like to begin with uh, Acts chapter 20. We'll start with verse 27. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the, the, the banquet that you've prepared for us. Um, I love that idea of you being the chef. You prepare everything, and uh, certain ones of us have the privilege of just serving it up. And we don't want to mess it up or add anything to it or take away anything on the way from the, from the kitchen to the, to the, uh, the table. And uh, so I just pray this morning that you'd use uh, myself uh, as I share. We realize that your word is going out throughout this valley and throughout these, the surrounding area. And we thank you for uh, the privilege of being part of uh, feasting at your table this morning. May we really understand what your word has to say because it is, it is so it's amazing how appropriate these, these verses are for us today when they were written 2,000 years ago. Um, they are as relevant today, maybe even more relevant today, than when, when you first inspired writers to write your word. So we thank you for giving us your word. May we understand it. May we understand what the original writer intended his original readers to know and understand. And then may we think of ways that uh, we can use this in terms of application in our, in our own lives. How would they have applied this? How should we apply it? And so, Lord, we, we are grateful this morning for you and for the truth that you've given us. Um, may we always cut it straight. And, and um, thanks for uh, each person who's here this morning. I, I, I truly believe that you have brought them, and uh, we want to we share your truth with, um, with others as we learn it. May we not only be May we not only take it in, but may we pass it on, because it, it is so needed today. Jesus is the answer for what's going on in our world today. People don't realize that, but we do. And so may we boldly proclaim the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the elders. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to deliver a love offering there from the Gentiles to the Jewish people. And, but he's, uh, he's on his way there, and he, is, he is, uh, uh, stops off in Ephesus, and the elders from the church come and meet him. Uh, and he talks to them for a while, and it, it says here in verse uh, 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves. So these are the leaders of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the servant leaders of those individuals there, the, the congregation in Ephesus. And he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one, of, each one with tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. For a local body of believers and for, for the, the elders, deacons, you know, the people in, in uh, servant positions, um, we really need to be aware of attacks from outside the church. And there are many today. But we also need to be very careful about attacks from within the church, temptations, people, people maybe that we know that perhaps, uh, you know, have a reputation. And um, we need to be careful that they are teaching God's truth. It's really an important thing to notice. And so the church we're going to look at today, the church in Thyatira, was a, a church that was tolerating a deceiving, immoral person in their midst. It was a lady, and she called herself a prophetess. And people, some people in the church were listening to her and, and following her. And she was leading, she was deceiving and leading people into idolatry and sexual immorality. And the church there was permitting that to go on um, there in Thyatira. So now if we turn over to Revelation, that was Acts chapter 20, verses 27 through 32. But now as we turn over to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, we have from Jesus to a permissive church. In other words, they are permitting someone in their midst to be um, deceiving. The, the leaders are doing that, and the leaders need to deal with that situation. So the fourth mark of a true and living church is holding fast what we have. It's holding tight. It's clinging tightly to what we have. And, and you know, I, I got thinking of what we have. They would have had Jesus. Jesus would have been, they would have had the word. We're to hold tightly to Jesus and his words. And so what does Jesus say to this church that's tolerating this deceiving, immoral person? This church perhaps founded by Lydia. Remember in Acts chapter 16, she was, a, uh, uh, <clears throat> she was from this area and <clears throat> perhaps she would have been the one to go back and, and found the church after she herself came to know the Lord. But uh, this, this church was in trouble. They may not have even realized it, but it was in trouble. The, the city of Thyatira was about 40 miles southeast of Pergamon, the church we looked at last week. It was located at a major crossroads, you know, it, the roads crossed at that area. It was a busy commercial center. There were many trade unions there that were present, uh, carpenters, leather workers, weavers, dyers, tent makers. Someone wrote, membership in these unions involved a demanding social life and periodic feasts at which all the members were expected to eat meat offered to idols and participate in sexual orgies. Let me read that quote again. Membership in these trade unions involved a demanding social life and periodic feasts at which all the members, every person in the union, all the members were expected to eat meat offered to idols and participate in sexual orgies, end of quote. In other words, it was difficult to make a living as a Christian in Thyatira without belonging to a union. A lot of pressure there. 
And there was a, an additional pressure, and that is the Christian workers here were, uh, that, they, the, that they were faced with, with this growing heresy within the church. This growing heresy within the church that was not being addressed. Last week we looked at temptations from without, same temptations, temptation to sexual immorality, temptation to idolatry, and here today we look at a person in the church that's encouraging people to practice the same thing. And the church, especially the leadership, was not addressing what was going on. It was a test. It was a test of faith. Am I going to trust you, God, in this situation, even if I don't, you know, even if I don't have a job? Am I going to trust you, Lord, when this person is telling us to do things that are biblically wrong? Look at verse 18 with me of Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel of the church, or to the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and servants, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But... I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who don't hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no, bur no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he begins in verse 18, as he usually does, and he also adds something in verse 23 that I think is greatly significant. But in verse 18, to the messenger, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like burnished bronze. And then down in verse 23, he says, I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And that description of certain characteristics of Jesus was exactly what that church needed. Exactly. As we've seen, every time he introduces, you know, comes to a, when he talks to a different church, he always introduces himself in a way that is perfect for the issues that that church is facing. 
And so for this church that's struggling with this, this person within the body that's misleading and deceiving, um, and, the, the, and the leaders aren't doing anything about it, <laughs> he describes himself as this way, I, I'm, I'm God's son. When he tells the, the church at Thyatira, to this permissive church, look at your Lord, he describes himself as the son of God, God's son. And then he says, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus, God's son, who gets right to the heart of what they're doing. He deals what need, with what needs to be dealt with here. It's so incredible to me that this, this is the Lord Jesus that we worship and love and, and serve and bow down to. And, and we, we love him. But whatever's the problem in a church, whatever's the problem in an individual's life, he points it out, out of love. His all-penetrating gaze, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Permissive church, look at your Lord. And in verses 19 through 21, he says, Permissive church, your Lord is looking at you. <laughs> Look at verse 19. If you just stopped there, you'd say, Whoa, what a church. I know your deeds. I know your love and your faith and your service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than, than at first. You look at this and you think, Man, alive. What more could they do? He commends the body for their works, love, faith, service, perseverance. I can seek your constant improvement and all these things. It's, it's better now than it used to be. Part of our mission statement is to love and serve people. We, we, we want to we worship God. We want to love and serve people. That's part of our mission statement here at our church. And these people are doing that. And then again, you have in verse 20, but, but. Don't forget the commendation. Please don't do that. You know, we have a tendency, we, we, you know, we realize, realize sometimes when people are saying something kind about you, you realize, but the but is coming. <laughs> but, <laughs> but don't, he commends them. He recognizes them for these wonderful things that they're doing. There's a lot of good things going on in that church. But out of his love, he points out points out an issue that needs to be dealt with. And, if it, and if, if it isn't dealt with, it's eventually going to spread to the entire body. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. And so in verse 20, but I have this against you. You are permitting that woman Jezebel who claims to be a prophetess. By the way, there were women prophetesses in the early church. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But she was a false prophetess. So I, I have this against you. You are permitting that woman Jezebel, who claims to be a prophetess, to teach and lead my servants astray. They end up committing acts of immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. 
And so you, you think, yes, they were, they were loving others, but they were tolerating this evil woman who was leading them astray. Jezebel was a person in that church who claimed she was teaching God's truth and leading them in God's ways. They would know who she, Jesus was referring to here. Whether her name was Jezebel, I don't think it was personally. I don't know why anybody, after un- understanding the old person in the Old Testament, uh, what she was like, why anybody would ever name their child Jezebel. But they would know who Jesus was referring to. And she is reflecting the morals and knowledge of an idolater. And what Jesus does here is he chooses the name of what we would probably consider the most evil woman in the Old Testament. And in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25, it says, Surely there was no one like King Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of Yahweh, that's God's Old Testament name, who sold himself to do evil in the sight of Yahweh because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. This is just a side note. You wives, I want to say this right. You have a, you know, the Bible says you have two, two parts to your role. You're to be a, a, a subjective or submissive, or I call it supportive wife, and you are to be a companion, a best friend to your husband. You're to be a supportive companion um, in your marriage relationship. It's, it's a role that we can't carry out in our own strength. Just like a husband is to be a loving head. (laughs) Without relying on the Lord, men, husbands, cannot carry out their role as the Bible lays it out. They just can't. I think the Lord gave us impossible roles to keep us dependent upon Him. Because only he can, through me, he through me, can be a loving head for my wife, Mary Lee. Because I'll mess it up if I rely on my own humanity, my own flesh, my own strength. And And a wife being given this role as a supportive companion, she, she can't carry that out in her own strength. She'll mess it up. Jezebel messed it up. She was awful. It says, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. There's no one like King Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of Yahweh because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. She wanted nothing to do with the God of Israel. She was a foreigner. She wasn't from Israel. She wasn't an Israeli. And she, she worshipped the Canaanite gods of sex, 
and, and fertility, the, the Baal and Astarte, who, who, who encouraged gross sexual immorality under the cloak of religion. She brought 850 prophets of her immoral cult when she came to Israel. And she killed off Yahweh's prophets. In fact, she killed off so many of the prophets. So finally, Elijah says, Elijah the prophet says, am I the only one left? I think I am. They were all gone. They had been killed. And Baal worship had become the religion of the land. And as we know from Scripture, our God calls us to be holy and pure, to be separate from you know, the practices, the thinking, the mindset of the people around who are not followers of our Lord. But Jezebel was encouraging idolatry and immoral practices. And as we saw the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks, actually, I just I can't get over this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, that those who worship idols are in reality worshiping demons. You think, oh, well, these people are just, they're just bowing down to these false gods. No big deal. But, but Paul, the Apostle Paul writes and says, they're, they're really worshiping demons by bowing down to these idols. And that's what these, these people here were doing. That's what Jezebel was doing. She was encouraged them to practice idolatry, to worship, to give themselves to something or someone. It could even be an idea, but to worship anything other than the God of the Bible. And she was also encouraging any sexual, uh, you know, this sexual immorality, any sexual mindset or practice outside the loving relationship of marriage. And we need to do what Paul does in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we read last week when, when there, was a, there was immorality, sexual immorality going on in the church in Corinth. And, and the, again, the church was permitting it or tolerating or compromising. And he says, deal with it. Now. What's so incredible, and from verse 21, I gave her time to repent. <laughs> what a Lord we have. I gave her time to repent, and she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. I put on your handout, the time was a, a gift from God for her to repent. But she didn't will, that's, where, that's the way it's phrased here. She didn't will, to, she didn't make the choice to repent. She had the time to, but she refused the opportunity. Keep your finger there in the text for a little bit. I, I don't normally do this during the middle of my message, but I want us to go over to a passage here in Second Peter. It's just a little ways back. If you get back to Hebrews, you're too far back. Second Peter chapter 3, Mary Lee reminded me of these verses because we're hearing this today. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, 
He says, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts or urges or desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. And he says, you guys, you, see, you're t- you talk about saying things are just the same as they were ever since creation. That's not true. There was this flood that wiped out all the humanity except for eight individuals. You're ignoring history. You're ignoring reality. Verse 7, But by his word, the present heavens and earth are, are reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness or justice dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now you go back to Jezebel. Out of my patience, I gave her time to repent. And she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. And he goes on to say, permissive church, look what's at stake. Severe discipline would be applied to this person and her followers. And we're dealing with Jesus here, verse 22, Behold, I will throw her, Jezebel, on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. And so permissive church, look what's at stake. Jesus, the Son of God, with his penetrating eyes and his feet of judgment, would deal with her and her children. And basically he would give her up to the way of life she advocated. She and her followers like beds, I'll make, I'll make one for her. I'll give her one. But it was a bed of sickness. It was a bed, a bed of, of pressure. And it was a bed of death. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the church there was, uh, they, were, they were not judging the body rightly when they were observing the Lord's Supper. And he said, you need to do that. You need to judge it rightly. You need to deal with what needs to be dealt with because, because, because you are, some of you aren't doing this. Some of you are sick and some of you have died. But you notice those words, unless they repent. The key to their spiritual health was their willingness to repent of their sins. It wasn't too late. And for you, if you're caught up in something, if our church is caught up in something, it's not too late. We are to repent and believe, as Jesus says. We are to turn from our sins and turn to him in faith. And even if Jezebel wouldn't, they could. They didn't have to continue following her, listening to her. But he says there in verse 23, many will die. Many will die. <laughs> and the purpose so that all the churches will know that he who searches the minds and hearts would judge each one according to their deeds. This is the kind of Lord that we have. He's a loving Lord. He, he loves each one of us. He loves all of his creation. But he deals with what needs to be dealt with. If it's a heart issue, it, and if it's a heart issue, it means that they need a new heart, that they have a, that they have a heart that is not um, right with God, it is a deceitful heart, and it, they need a heart transplant. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. So if it's a hard issue, if they need to become Christians, he will deal with that area of their life, showing their, that person their need for Jesus as Lord and Savior. If it's a mind issue or an emotional issue or, or a choice issue, he, he'll deal with that. If these are Christians here that he's dealing with, then he'll deal with them in, the, in that way and show them you've got the wrong mindset. Your mind is set on the wrong thing. I love that. That, that. Even last week, we talked about the Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, that, that God says, you know, uh, he knows everything about us. There's nothing hidden from him. We're open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I'm so glad we have a Lord like that. If it's an obvious sin, then we need to deal with that. As a church, we need to deal with it. As individuals, we need to deal with it. But if it's something going on inside in terms of my motives or my thoughts, he'll deal with that. If it's my heart that needs dealt with, if I need a new heart, which only Jesus can give, but he does, it's part of the new covenant. <laughs> This is a good Lord, really a good Lord. Sometimes as parents, we think that, uh, well, my, I know my child's doing wrong there, but <laughs> we'll just overlook it. It really won't hurt anything. It does. That's not love. It's not biblical love. Out of love, Jesus deals with whatever needs to be dealt with. 
put on your handout, Jesus will deal with even the most secret sin so that we'll come to know him as a holy judge and so the church is purified. Motivated by love, he wants the best for each church. He wants the best for each individual. I went to a uh, pastor's group this meet, some from Carson City, some from Carson Valley. I want to let you know, people that I was with love Jesus. They do. And it was really fun to be with them. And I appreciate how he's using different different pastors, different churches in this whole area to reach this area for Jesus Christ. These guys have a heart for this community. And they love our Lord Jesus. We may not agree on everything doctrinally. I understand that. But uh, it was good to be a part of that team. We want, as Jesus does, what's best for each church and what's best for each individual. And it's interesting that Jesus, he, he does whatever's necessary. In this case, he warns, he waits. He projects the outcome of choices. He says, do you realize this is going to end up in sickness and enormous tribulation and death? If you keep going on the path you're on, that's where you're going to end up. So he, he projects the outcome of choices, and then he carries out the consequences. I will do this, Jesus says. Verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. To those in Thyatira who haven't followed this false teaching, and the New Living Translation says these deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually, it's interesting how in four of the seven churches here, he talks about Satan. Satan plays a very prominent part in trying to deceive and destroy local bodies of believers. But to those of you in Thyatira who haven't followed this false teaching, I place no other burden on you. So permissive church, look at the promises. There was this godly remnant in the church. Those of you who don't hold this teaching, these deep things of Satan, you know, the ideas that Jezebel would have been saying, follow me, I have truths that no one else has. You can become part of our secret society if you will follow me and listen to me shows the demonic influence of such teaching. But, but those of you who don't hold this teaching, there's no other burden. That Christianity is this love relationship, but it's not a bunch of rules or deep things. It's a relationship with this living Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. What you've learned, what we now have in the Bible... <laughs> 
And what you have, his name is Jesus. And I was thinking we could also include the Holy Spirit. We have him too operating. We have God as our father. There's so many blessings that we have. But hold tight to those things. Understand the six elements of the new covenant. You know, the forgiveness of sins and the new hearts. You know, your hearts are made new. And understand that you have direct access to God and you have an intimate relationship with God as Father. And he writes his law on your heart and mind. It's not some outward thing. It's an inward thing. He writes it on our hearts and on our minds. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Those six things take place in every person's life who becomes a Christian. And hold fast to those truths. The more I study the scripture, in many ways, the simpler it gets. It just reminds us of these same truths over and over and over again. Hold fast to those. I'm going to come back. So keep holding fast. And I also noticed that he didn't tell these people to leave the church. He, said, he didn't say, get out of that church, you people. <laughs> Bail out. If they're having problems, you know, get out of there. He doesn't do that. He says, stay with it. Be this godly remnant in the midst of whatever's going on. In verses 26 and 27, to the person who overcomes and keeps my deeds until the end, I'll give authority over the nations. That's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, where in other scriptures, you know, in other passages, that is referring to Jesus' authority over the nations. And these individuals will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 11, as I also received authority from my Father. And you see that throughout, especially the Gospel of John. In other words, Jesus' authority is shared with his people, us. I just find this is incredible. That the overcomer is the one who resists Jezebel's deception or maybe got caught up in Jezebel's deception but now repents and holds on to Jesus. Hold on, you will overcome and so may our works be patterned after Jesus rather than Jezebel. And the word there in verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Actually, that word is to tend or shepherd. This, this authority and this, this shepherding that's given to us from God's Son, where we in many ways reign with Jesus in all his glory. And I, I don't know whether that's during the millennium, that thousand-year period where Jesus rules on this earth. Somehow maybe we as saints are, are there with him in our new redeemed bodies, which is going to be great. And so not only will we reign with Jesus in all of his glory, but verse 28 says, and I'll give that individual the morning star. And if you read ahead, if you read up to you know, chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus is the morning star. The morning star is the one that appears just before the dawn when night is at its darkest. This remnant here, this godly remnant, uh, 
They should reject Jezebel and stand firm, hold on, regardless of what the, what the rest of the church is doing. And he's not trying to claim here some kind of perfection that we won't ever have that as long as we are in these fleshly bodies. We'll have that when we physically die and go to our Lord. By the way, Judy Shepherd's uh, uh, memorial service is this coming, uh, this coming Saturday at 2 o'clock. We'd love for you to be there. Many of you have been impacted by Judy. Um, it'd be nice to come and celebrate her life. But it's not, a, it's not that a, a church or an individual can't fall. But when we do, those who have real faith will repent, confess, and turn back in faith to our Lord. Verse 29, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I find it so interesting that um, this was addressed to a church in Thyatira 2,000 years ago, and yet if, he was, if our Lord was addressing words to the churches in this area, different they were, were dealing with the same issues that they were idolatry, you know, putting things like government or people or ideas and worshiping them, counting on them to be the solve-all instead of turning to God. And sexual immorality, as you know, that is rampant. And by the way, it's rampant among Christians too. Pornography is a major issue in Christian men's lives. I don't know about the women. I remember one time I shared that, and a girl came up to me and she says, if you think men are the only ones who, who struggle with that, you're wrong. We, society, encourages people to find out if they're sexually compatible as though that's that's the key to a successful marriage. <laughs> you can see by the statistics it's not the key. In Nevada we've legalized brothels. I met a woman this week, uh, in fact she was at that pastor's thing she has a ministry to prostitutes throughout the state. She's going to those ladies and giving them truth. Spiritual truth. I put on your handout, these promises and warnings are needed in our individual lives no matter what our local church may be like. Avoid both sexual immorality and idolatry. 
and I should say, and people who espouse such things, do who you are. We are in Christ. We are in the Spirit. That's who we are. Do that. Your practices become holy when they are separated from your own use and given into his hands to be used for his purpose and glory. Repent. There's still time to repent before the one who searches the minds and hearts has to take disciplinary actions. So Jesus, I I thank you. Before we sing this final song, give me Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that if discipline is needed in the Christian's life, you carry it out. And sometimes you use churches or individual Christians as an instrument to help somebody, not to harm somebody, but to help somebody come to their senses so they think with a biblical mindset. And if judgment is needed for those people who are not Christians, you will do that. We can count on that. There's this day coming. Sometimes that judgment takes place on this earth, maybe through sickness, maybe through pressure, your wrath being poured out. Sometimes that will not take place until what's called the great white throne judgment. But judgment will be done. And we can count upon you to do that. Thank you for the kind of God that you are. Jesus, how we love you. I pray that we never abandon our first love as the church at Ephesus did. Pray that we're holding fast to you. That we're finding in you everything we need. Thank you for the relevancy of your word. I know some people are saying it's just a myth. It's just outdated. It's not relevant anymore. Man, I think this is more relevant today than even when it was written. (laughs) It's amazing. Thank you for knowing what our true needs are and for being who we need.